0: of the Stars, a podcast in which I, Jack Boblik, and my lovely, luscious, lost-in-the-sauce-wife
1: Hi, I'm Emily DiLobobolic.
0: watch in chronological order every single movie that has won the Oscar for Best Picture, and not only watch them, but rank them according to however we feel at the time. Mm-hmm. And today's movie is...
1: The Lost Weekend.
0: Alternatively titled Beer Quest, the quest for more beer.
1: <laughs> He's not drinking beer though.
0: Yeah, it's a quarter of rye and whiskey and the hard liqueurs. Yes. But beer here as an umbrella term for, all right. for alcohol. All right. It's all beer.
1: Yeah, all beer. Beer is usually a, a top choice for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, and it's cheaper than other liquors.
0: Candy is dandy, but <laughs> liquor is quicker.
1: <laughs> yeah. Want to see the poster?
0: I'm looking at the poster right now. It's right. a it's a head.
1: It's a, a step up from a lot of posters that we've had so far, though. It,
0: it's a stylized head. Yes. We're making moves in the right direction. Baby steps towards our, our dependence upon just having the, the actor's big-ass faces and nothing else.
1: The, the main protagonist is really well represented on the poster.
0: Yes, it's not a, a pretty head like it usually is. He's disheveled.
1: Yes. Is the... I don't know, This this is the first poster to me that kind of gives me an idea of what this movie is about. Yeah,
0: it's very thematically in keeping with the movie. The title, The Lost Weekend, is in big red letters on a book because it, uh, the main character is a writer and you have his brother and love interest on one side uh, and the love interest is holding out a hand to him while he's slouched over in a drunken stupor in the bottom. Yeah. And then... Gloria on the side oh she's only in the movie for like five minutes total probably yeah the most most nothing character in this whole movie
1: yeah I like that it has you know we it's mostly I guess supposed to be against a a dark sky and there's some clouds and everything yeah. and, and it looks nice
0: the literal fog representing his mental fog
1: yeah yeah out of all the posters that that we've seen so far I think this one's my favorite
0: Including the thirties as well. Yes. Yeah Yeah, yeah, I think I'd agree with that
1: All right, I've changed the order a little bit I'm gonna start with the information about the movie instead of the characters and actors because I I wanted to talk a little bit more about the author of the novel that this movie is based on
0: yeah, it's a found out afterwards. It's a quasi-autobiographical kind of thing yes very much based off the the author of the novel his own experiences yeah this is his own tragic story
1: so the movie is based on a 1944 novel of the same title written by charles reginald jackson he himself faced a bunch of challenges in his life He worked as a freelance writer and editor for a bunch of newspapers in Chicago. And then at some point in his life, he moved back to New York. He was originally from New Jersey. And he had a lot of difficulty finding work, which made his binge drinking worse. He was already drinking before that, and then it just became worse when he moved back to New York.
0: Got nothing else to do.
1: Yeah. Um, He wrote five more novels after that. But all of them kind of received mixed reviews and sold very poorly.
0: Yeah, this was his biggest success by
1: far. Yeah. And because he faced less success with his other novels and the fact that he was also struggling with his sexual identity as a bisexual man all contributed to his alcoholism. He actually tried to kill himself in 1952. And was committed to Bellevue Hospital in New York, which is where one of the scenes is actually shot.
0: Oh, that's the alcoholic ward. Yeah, wow. they they
1: got. Uh, it was the only time in history that the that the hospital granted access to the alcoholic ward for uh, for a movie because
0: he was an alumni.
1: I guess. <laughs> <laughs> then Jackson went on to speak publicly about his battle with. Alcoholism and drug abuse. He had become heavily addicted to barbiturates and peraldehyde which is used to. It's used in the treatment of alcoholism and it's used to reduce convulsive disorder and to relax patients so that they can sleep.
0: It's one of those old timey addiction cures where it just gives you a new addiction. Yes. Yeah.
1: Exactly. That is, that's exactly my, my thought when I was reading it. It's like, okay, we're going to treat something, but then it's going to going to trigger a different addiction or a different disease. You
0: cure an addiction by giving the patient a bigger addiction that replaces it.
1: Yeah. He was also a long-time smoker and he had a, a chronic pulmonary disease and then he got tuberculosis. Uh, he eventually died in 1968 of barbiturate poisoning and his death was eventually ruled as a suicide. At the time of his death, he was still writing a sequel to *The Lost Weekend*, entitled *Farther and Wider*, but as far as I can tell, it was never published, even as an unfinished work.
0: Yeah, didn't get far enough. Yeah, the this movie has a an upbeat ending, but the the story of the actual person who wrote the story is not
1: a yeah, not as glorious. No,
0: ended much poorly.
1: Yeah. Alright, so the movie was directed by Billy Wilder. It was produced and distributed by Paramount Pictures. The running time is 101 minutes, and the release date was November 29th, 1945. Just
0: in time for the Christmas season. Just
1: in time. (laughs) A feel-good family
0: movie about a drunken bender.
1: Uh, The budget of the movie was 1.25 million dollars. And it made over 11 million at the box office. They love it. Yeah. Clearly, I mean, it won Best Picture, and Mm, also.
0: Nothing brings a community together like. Like alcoholism. Like watching someone, (laughs) yes, descend into madness and destroy their own life.
1: Yeah. All right, characters and actors. We
0: can all go, well, at least I'm not that guy. Yes. (laughs) And all feel better about ourselves.
1: Well, that depends. If you're watching this around the holidays, sometimes uh, people take the holidays as an excuse to drink more and more. So I don't know if you can really (laughs) look at yourself in the mirror and say, oh, I'm I'm not that guy.
0: At least I'm not that guy all year. All
1: year. (laughs) Exactly. All right, characters and actors. We have Ray Milland, who plays Don Burnham. Uh, that's the character who's based on Jackson. Yeah,
0: he looks a lot like Edward Norton.
1: Yes, 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 yes. Then we have Jane Wyman. She plays Don's girlfriend, Ellen St. James. Jane Wyman was, uh, while well, doing the research, I found that she was Ronald Reagan's first wife.
0: Oh no! Yes,
1: <laughs> they were married from uh, nineteen forty 1940 to nineteen forty-nine.
0: Yeah, you never hear about the fact that he was divorced. Should yeah. have been a bigger deal for a president, but...
1: Yeah. I guess his presidency happened much later. Yeah. So it wasn't as, as big of a deal. And
0: he was Hollywood, so, you know, that kind of thing happens all the time in Hollywood. Yeah. So that probably gave him a pass.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they were married for almost 10 years and had three children uh, together. Um, then uh, Philip Terry plays Wick Burnham. He's Don's brother. We have Doris the Silva, who plays Gloria. She's a prostitute who has a crush on Don. And I also noted Frank Phelan, who plays the alcoholism ward nurse. I, believe, I, really, I really liked him. I
0: believe his name is Bim.
1: Bim, yeah. Yeah,
0: it's the name he gives. Yes. And we only see him in that one scene, but
1: yeah. I like his performance in the uh, in that scene, so that's why I wrote him down.
0: Very cynical, just, here's the tour of the alcohol ward and you'll be back
1: yeah he gives a very his speech the way he talks to don is very much giving him some tough love
0: it's a very spirit of uh christmas future kind of thing
1: (laughs) yeah yeah
0: spirit whose lonely grave is this (laughs) why it's yours ebenezer
1: Oh, well, he knows what's going on in those wards, and he knows that yeah, even if people are being released, they'll be back. Like he's probably seen that happen hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. So he just he just knows how this dance goes. Yeah,
0: it's just the fact that he takes the time to give this personalized, like this is your future tour to the yeah. <laughs> the main character.
1: Yeah, not not at all what you would expect, and I don't think that you would see that nowadays too. I feel like there was much less compassion for people who had like who had a, an addictive disease like that uh,
0: oh yeah uh, we don't have alcoholic years. wards anymore you just have the general admission and then mm. they charge you thirteen thousand dollars and three back out in the street
1: oh jesus all right i wrote fun facts but they're not all fine so these are just, facts. Yeah, these are just facts
0: cold hard facts
1: yeah Apparently the director Wilder got interested in making the film after he worked on Double Indemnity the year before and one of the people working on the film with him was a recovering alcoholic at the time and they had such a poor relationship on on the film that that person started drinking again and so Wilder decided to make The Lost Weekend to help that person understand themselves better and understand their addiction to alcohol
0: so it's an award-winning intervention
1: yeah I, i don't know if it's it should be glorious since he they had such a bad relationship that that uh their tumultuous relationship pushed that other person to drink again but at least yeah he tried to do something about it yeah maybe uh, the movie is leaving out a lot of hints of about Don's struggles with uh, coming to terms with his sexuality with his uh, bisexuality. like there are no, absolutely no references to uh, those struggles. It's just about him struggling with the fact that he is not making it as, as a writer. Yeah, there's
0: nothing they couldn't handle. That kind of stuff in movies back then
1: well, i'm assuming yeah that the the brain uh office the
0: um Hays code and the
1: code and all that the production code was still in place and then the, they couldn't talk about it
0: yeah i saw that in the novel it was an experience he had in college and it does mm-hmm. mention that he uh dropped out of college in the movie but uh, in the movie he gives a reason that uh, he was so talented that he didn't think he needed to finish
1: yeah there were other actors considered for the roles of Don and Helen. Jose Ferrer was the first choice for Don. And for Helen, the studio had considered Olivia de Havilland, who was in Gone with the Wind. Who was she? She was Melanie. Bleh. <laughs> yeah, I don't think... I When I I read that, that she was considered for the role, I didn't think that she would be a very good fit.
0: No, she's too much too innocent the, yeah. the girl next door Helen's a much more in charge woman Yeah strong, she's more independent. strong
1: independent exactly The other actresses that were considered for the role were Katherine Hepburn and Jean Arthur who we saw as Alice in You Can't Take It With You Jean Arthur I feel like she could have done a good job yeah. with this role Yeah but I'm She would have been okay with it Yeah I'm happy with uh, uh I'm happy with the actress in, the, in this movie. Uh, most of the movie was shot at the Paramount Studios in Hollywood, but they did shoot some of the scenes of Don walking in the streets of New York in New York for more realism. And apparently Wilder had decided to have hidden cameras to capture uh, a lot of different angles of Milland walking amongst real pedestrians in the city it didn't i find any... that an interesting technique
0: yeah i bet they can't do that anymore you have to get release forms from everybody and yeah. tell them they're on camera
1: yeah then the movie still has a 97 percent approval rating on Rotten on tomatoes uh with critics writing that quote director billy wilder wilder's unflinchingly Honest look at the effects of alcoholism may have had some of its impact blunted by time But it remains a powerful and remarkably prescient film. Yeah unquote.
0: Still yeah. plenty of alcoholics
1: <laughs> Still, Yeah, we have
0: not solved that problem nor will we ever
1: yeah, I don't think so. Yeah,
0: Nope. that's just a it's not a it's not a bug it's a feature
1: apparently the alloyed liquor industries Launched a whole campaign against the movie, saying that anti-drinking groups would now be vindicated and pushed to reinstate the prohibition era.
0: <laughs> We're gonna start that mess again. That's what. That's really what they're campaigning on. Yeah,
1: they they really thought that the this movie was gonna be uh, enough. Was gonna give enough grounds to uh, anti-alcohol groups to uh, to push for the uh to push for prohibition to be reinstated they went as far as trying to bribe paramount and offered the studio five million dollars to buy the film negatives because they wanted to destroy them good grief yeah they're, i didn't write down the the name of the person that they hired but they hired some mobster to uh go uh, 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 like a gangster, the, to go and bribe the studio.
0: The mobsters should want Prohibition to happen again. That's what that's their bread and butter. It's what gave them the rise to power.
1: Right.
0: Don't even know their own history.
1: Yep. The movie was selected for preservation by the Library of Congress in 2011. It feels kind of a little bit late compared to when it came out, but yep. still... And The last Weekend was nominated for seven Academy Awards that year, including Best Cinematography, Best Original Score, Best Film Editing, and it won four awards for uh, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, and Best Adapted Screenplay. It also won the Golden Palm at the first uh, Cannes International Film Festival in 1946 it one of only three movies in film history to win both the golden palm and uh, best picture the other two movies uh, that did so were marty in 1955 and parasite in 2029 marty 2019 not 2029 (laughs) jesus we haven't made it to uh, to 2029 yet
0: it was one of those future movies
1: And then uh, the loser's bracket for 1945 is as follows. Uh, We have Anchors Away, The Bells of St. Mary's. By
0: Rainbow Productions.
1: The Bells of St. Mary's is the sequel to Going My Way. Huh. Um, The
0: first one wasn't by Rainbow Productions, was it?
1: I don't believe so.
0: What the hell happened?
1: Uh, Then we have Mildred Pierce and Spellbound.
0: Well, those all sound awful. (laughs)
1: I feel like I know the name Mildred Pierce. I just, I don't, I don't remember. I feel like it's an actual person.
0: Uh, My grandmother was named Mildred.
1: But was her last name Pierce?
0: No. (laughs)
1: So, not about her. Yeah, not as many uh, movies nominated for Best Picture that year. I feel like it just, it really ebbs and flows. There are years when there is just like four or five. And then there are years on the list where there is almost like 10 or more. So
0: Yeah, Slim Pickens.
1: Yep.
0: In 45. Yep. Everybody too busy with the war.
1: Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Yep. Yes.
0: All our money needs to go to bombs and planes and whatnot. Buy stamps, buy war bonds. That's true. Don't have time for entertainment.
1: That's true. All right.
0: You ready for the plot? I'm ready. All righty. Opening credits on plain fabric background. Did you notice this? It's like they shoved a camera up against an armchair in a, a cheap motel.
1: No, I did not notice that.
0: Yeah, there's absolutely nothing. It's just this really basic beige, like fabric pattern. It's weird how bland it was. And then after that, we open on a panning shot of fog-shrouded Manhattan. And as the camera moves to the right, a building, much closer than the others, comes into frame. And from one of the open windows of that building hangs a bottle on a string. It's a big, wide city shot. And yeah. uh, it's a model. It's not the actual city.
1: Did you find that for sure? Because I know that when we were watching the opening, we were both wondering if that was model or if that was a actually shot in the city
0: it's definitely a model you can see it like in the windows and okay. the edges of the buildings and it's the reason the entire sky is just fog yeah and that's why because they have to obfuscate the fact that it's a model inside a building and there's no blue sky above it
1: yeah and it, it couldn't have been shot in the city of new york anyway that that was definitely shot in the in the studios in hollywood
0: yeah it's a unique angle of the city that you don't see often it's not like full-on skyline shot mm-hmm. but kind of like in profile a little bit and then yeah, completely shrouded in fog. It's a good shot. And then we see the, the bottle dangling out the window on a string. The camera moves closer and in through the window where we see a man in suspenders and tie packing a suitcase that's sitting on a bed. A second man wearing a full suit and smoking a cigarette enters and asks how many shirts the first man will be packing.
1: And at this point, Don still looks... He looks fine, like he looks, um, I don't want to use normal, because then there is no such thing as normal, but he, he's well put together. Yeah.
0: Typical 40s dress, suspenders, tie, white yeah. shirt, slick back hair, every man has slick back hair in yeah. this time period. And then the other man in the full suit is his brother, Wick. The man who asked uh, is packing five shirts because he heard it can get chilly out on the farm. He also mentions that he has a day off from work, so they'll have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. A long, wonderful weekend. It'll be good for you, Don, he says, after what you've been through. There'll be fresh buttermilk and cider, and the water from the well is the freshest you've ever tasted. (laughs) Why this emphasis on liquids, complains Don, and such dull liquids.
1: Dull liquids. Oh, I hadn't noticed that
0: sorry don says the man in the suit all enthusiasm gone from his voice don then says they should bring his typewriter along so he can finally get started on his novel this makes his brother happy but he asks if he really feels up for it and don snaps that he hasn't touched the stuff for 10 days now he then asks his brother to get the typewriter which is in the closet in the living room and as soon as he's out of the room don shoots desperately to the window and pulls up the bottle and starts to wrap it in a blanket but he can't finish before his brother comes back and he has to uh, dangle the bottle back outside.
1: Yeah, because he's made I guess the little string that's around the uh, that holds the bottle is too tight and he can get it undone so that he can liberate the, the bottle to yeah. wrap it up.
0: He's trying to get it off so he can wrap it in a blanket so he can put it in his luggage so he can take it to the farm with him. Yeah. Thus uh, begins Dawn's uh, habit of just I have never seen... Uh... A person more laser focused on something than Don is on getting alcohol in this movie. It oh is, yeah. <laughs> it, it is
1: It's his one and only goal.
0: Yes, his entire his, his entire universe revolves around it. It is almost inspiring this man's dedication to getting a drink. Yes. After some complaining by Don about how everyone where they're going is going to gossip about his alcoholism, the doorbell buzzes, and we're introduced to Helen in her trademark Leopard coat she has this leopard print coat that she wears in uh, almost every scene she's in yeah a big fuzzy thing she's brought Don some books for the trip wrapped in plain brown paper Don starts to complain about the farm again but she interrupts him by saying bend down and he does and she kisses him that's their little cute thing that they do
1: yeah because they have such a, a high difference
0: yeah i was thinking about when you noticed or uh, you mentioned uh alice playing role. With- well, i think she was taller so yes. they might not have been able to do that yeah Then she says she must be off or she'll be late for the symphony. He asks if she's going alone, and when she says that she is, he says that he has a crazy idea. His crazy idea is that he and his brother can catch a later train so she doesn't have to go to the show alone. Helen and his brother are both strongly against it, but cave after Don refuses to be dissuaded. Great, says Don. You and Helen will go to the show then. Helen and his brother both think that's a weird idea, but Don fakes outrage saying that you think I can't be trusted? I just want some time alone to collect myself. Is that so much to ask? Helen implores the brothers not to fight, and Wick reluctantly complies, tossing his cigarette on the windowsill as he turns to leave. This He's not fooling anybody with this. No, they both
1: absolutely not
0: They both know that he's up to some shit.
1: The way he gets so mad so quickly. Yeah. I understand that when if you're like he was saying he hadn't touched any alcohol for ten days, and I understand that when you're a recovering addict and all that, and you don't want people to think that you're on the stuff, and that the you want to be able to be trusted. But clearly, the fact that he was he was getting mad. So quickly, like, that shows that he can't be trusted. His
0: brother even says something along the lines of, you don't have to pretend so hard. Yes. Yeah. This is not their first rodeo with this.
1: And at this point, he's also getting super sweaty. Like, his face is... You can see you can see uh, droplets of sweat on his forehead and, and going down the sides of his face. He's just... Having a fit. He's in withdrawal.
0: Yeah, he has the booze sweats for most of this movie. And you can tell that this is not a new thing for any of them. Yeah. They've been dealing with this for a long time. So they all have their habits and patterns and ways they deal with it and the way they operate and move through this problem. And... He's he's such a, a, a bad liar because he's so desperate through the majority of the thing. You can tell he's just scrambling for any excuse and coming up with these really flimsy stories to, to get what he wants. And Nobody believes him. They just usually cave in so he'll shut up.
1: Yeah, I did the, oh, I want just want to collect myself. That's, it was bullshit from the start because they were almost done packing anyway. Yeah. They were ready to go. The train is in like what an hour or something, and they were um just really almost finished and ready, to, ready to get out.
0: And he usually goes from zero to sixty with the anger
1: yeah. as a
0: way to to make people stop arguing with him. Yeah, he's desperate and irritable in a very uh, authentic way. Helen tells Don not to go anywhere while they're gone, and Don says he already told them he won't. And Wick says dryly, "You've told us a good many things, Don." "'All right, then, why don't you take my keys and lock me in like a dog?' yells Don. "'Sorry, Don,' says Wick, just as dryly. Then he notices his cigarette butt sitting on the sill, and the tied string next to it. He goes over to the window and pulls up the bottle, and Don says he must have put it there in the past, but doesn't remember when. He didn't know it was there, and even if he did, he wouldn't have touched it. "'Then you won't mind,' says Wick, as he walks to the kitchen and pours it down the sink." Then they argue a bit more about who should go with Helen, and Don says if he hears one more word about it, he won't go to that blasted farm at all. They should just let him do things his way. He's trying. He's trying.
1: Yeah, uh, Wick is getting more and more annoyed also. Like, he's getting annoyed and mad at him, and like, well, we've been been dealing with this for years now, so it's just not going to stop.
0: Yeah, and this is don's backup strategy if the the anger doesn't work he switches over to this very mewling like i'm I'm trying i just need a little please i'm gonna die and those are his two modes helen responds that they're both trying him not to drink and her not to love him she and wick leave and as they walk down the stairs to the lobby wick assures helen that don doesn't have any money to buy booze and no bar in the area will give him credit anymore He worn out his welcome in every place. In the apartment, Don locks the door and then searches all his usual hiding spots, but his brother has cleared them out. He, like, uh, he takes an air duct off the wall. He Mm -hmm. uh, pulls the couch out from the wall.
1: He looks and there's a big closet
0: he even uh the vacuum is one yes. of his hiding, he tried he looks <laughs> I inside about that. Yeah, the vacuum bag is oh one of gosh. his hiding places. And this is when uh the music first kicks in as well. We get this yeah. very uh tense almost feels like science fictiony like UFO music. Yeah. Kind of like woo
1: Yeah, kind of like supposed to signal that, you know, he's in a daze and he's just, he's going crazy. Yeah,
0: something unnatural is happening. Yeah. The cleaning lady then arrives, asking for payment from Wick. Don tells her he doesn't know where Wick keeps the money.
1: Oh, but she does.
0: Yeah, and she she does, which is weird.
1: Well, because that's where she she usually gets it. uh, She has a key. She has a key to the apartment because she opens the door without ha- without knocking on it first. It's
0: locked and bolted though, so she can only get the door like a- open a, l- a little crack.
1: Yeah, but still, she has the key, yeah. which signals that if they're not here, she can still get in and get the you know get the money when they're uh, when they're not there. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. he doesn't know where the money is, and she helpfully reveals that it's in the sugar bowl. Uh, Don finds it, but tells her it's not there. He has ten whole dollars to party now.
1: Yay!
0: Everything's coming up Millhouse.
1: Ten whole dollars in 1945.
0: Yep, get you through a weekend. Yep. Cut to Don entering a liquor store. Two bottles of rye, he says. The man at the counter says he's sorry, but his brother has been in and said he won't pay his tab anymore. Don pulls out the sugar bowl money and uh, snaps, I said two bottles of rye what brand asked the man at the counter you know what brand says don the cheapest
1: oh gosh
0: <laughs> yep he really makes no bones about trying to hide his alcoholism he's almost like joyous and bragging about it wherever he goes like you know what i want the the cheapest stuff so i can fucking drown in it yeah And we'll see when he gets to the bar, like, he'll, like, wax philosophic to anyone who'll listen about uh, why he's an alcoholic and how it's inescapable. And, yeah, he's really
1: quasi-in-denial
0: because... Oh,
1: I wouldn't say quasi. He's definitely in denial. Well,
0: he acknowledges the fact that he's an alcoholic, but he's...
1: But he doesn't think that... It's a problem. Yeah, he doesn't think that it's a problem. It feels more like drinking it to him is he knows that other people see it as a problem but to him it's not a problem
0: or it's a inescapable problem and part of almost like the allure or charm of him yeah it's a part of who he is don gets his rye and puts them in a bag and as he walks away from the liquor store he buys some apples to place on top of the bottles to hide them Mm -hmm. So he looks like he's carrying a bag of apples down the street yeah then he walks by two old women and waves hello. After he passes, one of the women leans close to the other and whispers, That's the nice young man who drinks. <laughs> <laughs> so his fears about the people at the farm gossiping about him, not not entirely unfounded.
1: Yes, too you know, people know him around.
0: Yeah, well, he, like we said, he makes absolutely no attempt to hide his alcoholism. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, everybody knows
1: it was a weird phrasing that's the nice young man uh, who drinks is like oh that's the, i don't know it was just a weird way to phrase this
0: i can absolutely see it back in those days where you know you know somebody beats their wife or their children or whatever and you're like oh he's so nice he just has this one little thing but oh well it's a very yeah they just shrug their shoulders at stuff like that yeah what are you gonna do don's next stop is a bar where he tells the barman he's there to ask for his hand in marriage and if he's turned down he'll need a drink to get over it this is he's very (laughs) jokey and jovial about his alcoholism yes the bartender is reluctant until don shows him he has cash at which point he pours him a shot of rye don lights a cigarette and stares at the glass while the music swells finally lunging at the glass and downing it in a flash he's almost like coiling up to spring in the way like a cat does yeah when it's hunting something She's
1: excited and getting tense you know, like, oh, and yeah. i'm like i'm funny you gonna get it
0: here it comes here it comes and then just down in one gulp the bartender moves to wipe away the ring of moisture left by the glass on the counter but dawn tells him to leave it let me have my vicious circle he yeah. says yes yeah a metaphor
1: metaphor but also yeah that's i mean it's You have visual representation of that vicious circle. Yeah,
0: and then he says something about a circle being the most perfect shape in geometry with no beginning and no end. Yeah. It's a trap. He then asks what it is and the bartender, uh, uh, what time it is and the bartender tells him it's a quarter to four. Good, Don smiles. We have the whole afternoon together.
1: Yeah.
0: But let him know when it's a quarter to six, it's very important.
1: Yeah, cuz then their train is supposed to be at 6:30.
0: Yep. A seductively dressed woman then walks behind Don and tells him it's good to have him back with the organization. This is Gloria. The mm-hmm prostitute who it's never explicitly stated that she's a prostitute but it
1: heavily suggested
0: yeah if you can read between the lines at all you know what's going on because she's meeting clients at the bar and and sitting with men she doesn't know and don will ask her about it oh it's a a friend of a friend of a friend kind of thing and she'll talk to don and go oh i have to get back to my date
1: yeah
0: kind of thing and she she doesn't look like the usual women we see in these movies in this era because the majority of women we see that are function as romantic interest for the main characters look like very innocent like girl next door types mm-hmm. and i i don't know how to describe her but she doesn't look that way her face is very narrow
1: very narrow her cheekbones are very high she... her yeah her face is yeah, her face is very narrow in general, but it, it, she has very accentuated features like her cheekbones.
0: Yeah, it's very narrow, but kind of mousey. Yeah, she looks like she could have very uh, contemptuous character. She'd be good yeah. playing like the kind that like raises a single eyebrow, and you know that one eyebrow is sharper than any knife.
1: She also has a lot more, looks like she has a lot more makeup on her face than any of the other women that we've seen so far in, in the movies.
0: Yeah. And her her thing is that she uh, uses slang and shortens words. Yes. Like she says like on the reg instead of regular and natch instead of natural.
1: Yeah, she also has uh, something else that she says. I feel like it's, she says it's ridiculous. Yes, ridic. Instead of ridiculous.
0: Yeah, and Don even mentions at one point, like, why do you uh, put our friendship in jeopardy by doing this? Because <laughs> he doesn't like it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if this was in color, her face would be, she would have, like, dark hair and uh, a lot of, like, kind of, like, white makeup on her face. She'd and, look like a clown. And a heavily red li- lips.
0: Yeah she looked like ronald mcdonald hanging out in a bar (laughs) so she walks by him and says it's good to have him back with the organization Don then shows off his two bottles to the barkeep and tells him his plan to get them out to the farm. His, his bragging about his alcoholism.
1: Yeah, he's going to put one in his brother's suitcase without him knowing. He's going to put uh, put another one in his suitcase and he'll just get uh, get them out without anybody noticing. Like, mm- good luck.
0: Yeah, this is the plan. One bottle is a decoy he intends to let his brother find on purpose. To put him at ease. It,
1: that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's a re- like, why spend money on it if you're going to let it go down the drain? Because,
0: well, his brother knows he's going to find one. So you let him find the one and then his his nerves are soothed. And you sneak the other one into the farm.
1: Ah, that's a waste of money and, and alcohol.
0: Uh, while the other will be in uh, the brother's suitcase, Wick's suitcase. The last place he would expect. Yeah, this is a flawed plan because he's not going to look in his own suitcase I, I'm i with you at the halfway point. <laughs> the, the red herring bottle, cool. I get it. Smart play. The putting the other bottle in the brother's suitcase, how the fuck are you going to get it back out without
1: him noticing? And also that would add extra weight to the suitcase. Like, that's not something that you don't notice. Yeah,
0: you really lo- lost me at halftime with this one. The bartender suggests that maybe he should just lay off the stuff, and Don says he probably will. He just wants the comfort of knowing it's there. He can't be cut off completely. Uh, The bartender says he knows a lot of guys like that. They have a a bottle sitting on a shelf without even a corkscrew to open it.
1: I mean, there's other ways to open a bottle. I've done that before. I, I was stranded in Ohio one Christmas, and all I had for food that night was some charcuterie, bread, and I had a bottle of wine in, in my in my apartment. And uh, all I had to open it was a pair of scissors.
0: Where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. They have not even a corkscrew to open it, but then one day they grab it and bite off the neck. And he, the barkeep pantomimes this. He has a bottle in his hand and he like, bites the, the neck a little bit with his teeth.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Gloria then approaches again and tells Don how handsome he is. Don invites her to dance, but she has a a client at the moment. She's free later, though, but Don has to go to the farm, so maybe some other time. She walks away, and Don asks for another shot. The barkeep says he should slow down, and Don wonders if he doesn't approve of drinking. Not the way you drink, says the bartender, placing a cigarette in his mouth.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That's another thing about this movie is, as wise as it is to the dangers of alcohol, it is completely oblivious about cigarettes. You'll have people talking about how awful alcohol is and what a problem Don has and then putting a cigarette in their mouth. Yes. Everyone in this movie is smoking like a chimney. We then get a close-up shot of Don staring lovingly at the drink while he contemplates his infatuation with alcohol. It's this just head-on shot of Don. You've got him right in the center of the frame, shot sitting uh, right in front of him, so Mm -hmm. it's all very centered. It's just him, the shot, the bar... Uh, nothing else and just him staring down into the the alcohol and talking about uh, why it infatuates him. It shrinks my liver, doesn't it? It pickles my kidneys, yes. But what does it do to my mind? It tosses the sandbags overboard so the balloon can soar. Suddenly I'm above the ordinary. I'm competent, supremely competent. I'm walking a tightrope over Niagara Falls. I'm one of the great ones. I'm Michelangelo molding the beard of Moses. I'm painting pure sunlight. I'm Horowitz playing Emperor uh, Concerto. I'm John Barrymore before the movies got him by the throat and out there. It's not Third Avenue any longer. It's the Nile and down it floats the barge of Cleopatra. uh, Close up of the bar in front of them where there are now six circles instead of one.
1: That was a good... It was a, a really good speech, I feel. Like, it, 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 he said it with a lot of conviction and and emotion in what he was saying. It's... It, you can clearly hear the supposed writer. Yes. You know?
0: I was just thinking that, too. That there's a lot of, of fiction where people are supposed to be writers, but they're not... You can tell they're not. They're just yes. pretending to be writers. He actually... F- has the chops
1: he has the chops he has the uh, cultural references he's you can see you can see that he's a a man of culture and that he's got the words to you know to put behind what he feels yeah he's a wordsmith and
0: he uses he uses his talent to sit at the bar and like wax philosophic about why he's an alcoholic
1: (laughs) yeah
0: very true to life a lot of uh, famous authors are incredible alcoholics so yeah this movie feels very authentic in its treatment of uh, both the dangers of alcohol and the appeal of it and why people get so addicted and dependent upon it because it it makes you feel like you understand more and yeah also that line about john barrymore who is the baron in uh grand hotel just taking pot shots At uh, Current Celebrities. I think that's the, the first, like... Uh,
1: first reference that we've had. Yeah, first yeah.
0: reference to um, con- what would be uh, concurrent stars. Yeah, and Contemporary. What... Contemporary, yeah. That's yeah. the word I'm looking for. Yeah, talking shit about the Baron. What the hell, man? <laughs> <laughs> Back in the apartment, uh, Helen and Wick have returned from the symphony, and Helen is mentally going over a list of bars that Don could be at while Wick prepares to leave. Helen tells him he can't go because she has to work all day Saturday and Sunday and Don can't be left alone. He might get run over by a car or fall asleep with a cigarette still lit. He doesn't know what he's doing. If it happens, it happens, says Wick. He's been doing this for six years now and he's had his belly full. Helen tells him he doesn't mean that, but he insists that he does. It's terrible, I know, but I mean it. Who are we fooling, he says as he stands by the door. We've tried everything. We've reasoned with him. We've babied him. We've watched him like a hawk. We've tried trusting him. How often have you cried? How often have I beaten him up? Scrape him out of the gutter and pump some kind of self-respect into him, and back he falls, back in every time. He's sick, says Helen. If there was something wrong with his heart or his lungs, you wouldn't walk out on him. He needs our help. He won't accept our help, replies Wick. He wants to be alone with a bottle. It's all he cares about. Why kid ourselves? He's a hopeless alcoholic.
1: Yeah, I understand what she's saying here, but I feel like she's giving the wrong examples. Like when she's saying if he had something wrong with his lungs or his heart, you, you wouldn't leave him. But the difference is that I understand that alcoholism is... A disease as well but it's i feel like for most most people would think that it's a disease that you choose well, to have not instead choose,
0: of the, it's a disease that you have to actively like fight against yeah. and if you're not fighting it then it overwhelms you and on some level yes you are allowing it to overwhelm you
1: yeah
0: so yeah you see this again feels really authentic about you know, the loved ones and family members of yeah. having to deal with someone who's an alcoholic about they want to help them. They don't know how and they've tried all these different things and Helen still has hope and Wick is giving up and just the the frustration and the helplessness. That well, they're... yeah, because
1: Wick is frustrated also because he's... Don is living with him. Don doesn't have a job. I don't
0: think they're living together. I think he's just supporting him. I think that's Don's apartment. And Wick just oh, shows... I
1: thought that they, it was both of their apartment. I I, th- I thought that they they lived there together.
0: I don't think so.
1: I think no, I do think so because the landlady later on in the movie says something about it. She uh, it's Wick's apartment and Don lives there too.
0: Well, that's because Don is being supported by Wick. Yes, they talk about Wick paying the rent for the place, but I don't think he actually lives there. Because Don talks about being supported by his brother this whole time. hmm I think if Wick actually lived there, it would be less dependent upon him. He wouldn't feel as bad. It wouldn't be emphasized as much.
1: There were two beds in the bedroom. There were two single beds. Yeah. They each... There was... Uh, whenever they're uh, doing their... They're preparing their suitcases, there's two beds in the, in, uh, the bedroom. They each have uh, their suitcase on one bed.
0: Huh. It just—it feels like Wick has his own separate life.
1: Well, because he's—he's uh, he's the one who's got a job and and has other things going on in his life. But
0: I—I I, yeah, hmm. I, it just doesn't feel—I in my heart of hearts,
1: <laughs>
0: I know that Don lives alone. <laughs> So Wick says he's a hopeless alcoholic, and then we fade back to a shot of the bar where there are now 12 rings instead of six. Yeah, he is deep in it. Uh, Don is still monologuing despite the fact that no one is listening at that point and calls for another shot. He's just like leaned up with his back to the bar just still going on about uh, why alcohol hasn't been such a grip and no one's listening. Like the the bartender's like at the other end of the bar because when he first came in, it was before they had really opened and he was kind of the only one in there. Yeah. But now time has passed and they're, you know, regular operating hours and there are other people. So he's just at one end of the bar by himself, just muttering. And then uh, he interrupts himself and just, Nat! Because the barkeeper's name is Nat and calls for another shot.
1: Also, how much do these shots cost? Because, like, 12 rings, 12 shots, that would not. He already bought the two bottles of rye and he still has money for 12 shots. That would not happen today with $10. Mm,
0: yeah, money was a lot more valuable back then. The bartender comes over and says, uh, didn't you have somewhere to be? What time is it? Asks Don in a panic. Ten past six, says oh, the shit. says the barkeep. Why didn't you tell me? Uh, what do you think I've been doing for the past half hour? Says the, the bartender. Don rushes back to the apartment, but when he enters the lobby, he hears someone coming down the stairs and hides behind a door in the back that has a little uh, glass window in it so he yeah. can snoop on whoever's coming down. Uh, it's Wick and Helen, and as Wick gets into a taxi, he implores Helen to let go of Don and to give herself a chance at happiness. Helen says she's going to wait for Don, who sneaks by and up the stairs while her back is turned. Once in the apartment, Don hides one of the two bottles in a light fixture hanging from the ceiling, like he has to get up on a chair. Mm hmm. Uh, to get it up there.
1: He puts the chair on a table. That's how high it is. He has to put the, the chair on the, on top of a table to be able to uh, reach it.
0: Yeah, and it's not like a, a chandelier. It's a, like a little dome yeah. type thing. So you wouldn't be able to see the bottle. Just looking at it. You have to know what's up there. And he opens the other bottle for immediate enjoyment. And then we get more UFO music. That's anytime time he's about to to indulge in his vice we get the the spooky alien music
1: yep. Woo!
0: he's off on a ride he sits down in an armchair with a huge smile and the camera slowly zooms into the glass he just poured with the shimmer of the liquid serving as the transition for the next scene get a lot of They're trying new things in this movie in regards to like camera techniques.
1: Yeah, it felt a lot more experimental than other movies than we watched so far.
0: Yeah, especially coming off of Going My Way, where every shot in that movie is just like fixed camera, people in the middle, like no artistry, no experimentation whatsoever, even even in the slightest. So the shimmer of the liquid transitions us to the next scene, which is Don exiting the apartment and stepping over the newspaper and milk bottle in front of his door. Helen has left a note on the door that tells Don to eat something, get some rest, and call her. She is she is the nurse.
1: She writes it multiple times. It says, Call me, call yeah. me, call me. Yeah,
0: and then the last one is underlined. Helen Helen's an enabler. Oh yeah. Instead, Don heads back to the bar. <laughs> Uh, the barman is making lunch, and Don tells him to hurry up and get him his drink. The barman looks like... Uh, who's the actor who plays uh, the main character in Grand Budapest Hotel? Something... He plays Vol- Ralph Fiennes? Ralph Fiennes, yeah. He yeah. looks like Ralph Fiennes a little bit. He's got the blonde, like, slick back hair. And yeah. That kind of...
1: I can see that. Same
0: facial structure. So we got uh, Edward Norton talking to... <laughs>
1: <Divine> <laughs> to Ralph Fiennes.
0: Ralph Fiennes. Yeah, he tells them to hurry up and get him a drink. Uh, the barman does and tells Don that the lady in the leopard coat was looking for him last night. But he told her Don hasn't been in there for two weeks. The barman is also an enabler.
1: He's Yeah, he's in on it.
0: They're all they're all coming. Although he is constantly berating Don for being an alcoholic, but still caves. Yeah, but
1: he also gets paid. Yeah, so.
0: caves in a lot. He suggests again that Don should stop, but Don says you have to ride the merry-go-round till the end. No, 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 no you don't. No,
1: <laughs> you don't have to. I, uh, you, you can get off.
0: I, I have known alcoholics in my life, and this is the exact kind of nonsense excuse they use. Yeah. Well, you gotta do, I mean, who else has <laughs> gotta drink it? <laughs> <laughs> Give me another, says Don. Uh, The barkeep reminds him that it's currently morning, and Dawn says the morning is when you need it the most. In the morning, it's medicine. The bartender sits down to eat, and Dawn asks uh, if he ever wakes up, sees a little light coming in the window, and wonders if it's getting lighter or darker. Is it dawn or is it dusk? It's a terrifying problem to have.
1: I was going to say, you know, when he says, oh, in the morning, that's when you need it the most, because in the morning, it's medicine. There's having grown up in France, and where we're much more liberal with alcohol, and you know, people starting drinking yeah, and experimenting younger with alcohol. I've definitely heard before oh, if you have a headache, like have a couple of uh, sips of white wine in the morning, and then it will cure you. Mm. Like, you're you cure what <laughs> what made you sick with what made you sick.
0: Yeah, hair of the dog. Yeah. It, yeah, you, your system is uh, screaming from the lack of alcohol, so you, you throw it a bone and give it some alcohol, and it yep. makes the pain go away. And this this comment about waking up and no, not knowing if it's getting lighter or darker, that that hit home for me. Cause, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've never been an alcoholic, but I have had depression, and there's some overlap there where, you know, you stay in bed too long, and then yeah. you wake up and you don't know, yeah, which direction the sun is going so you can that's what drove it home for me that the oh the person writing this is has experienced this mm-hmm. and it feels authentic and they know what they're talking about it's not just a hollywood you know let's make a, a cautionary tale it's someone speaking from personal experience about this stuff
1: yeah and also you know the fact that a lot of this movie happens at night too which feels it like gives also the the feel of what it's really like to have a disease like alcoholism is like you live in a certain period of the day and then the rest of it it's almost just happens at night like your your life almost doesn't have any place during the day
0: Yeah, he's constantly out of sync yeah. with everyone else yeah. He's he is trapped in his own bubble and everything else is just a nuisance and nothing else can operate in that bubble so his his interactions with other people are always just this very, like, jarring, like, you know, he, like, the prostitute wants to date him and he, he doesn't care at all. Like, he's a little witty with her, but he yeah. he's not really interested in his interactions with the barman. All he talks about is alcohol. Yeah. Like, that's the, his only method of interacting with the world.
1: It's almost like the rest of the world is... is too much also during the the daylight hours yeah, he doesn't
0: want to deal with it like we'll have scenes later on where like the phone rings and like he almost like runs out of the apartment because he can't even handle the fact that he's getting a phone call yeah so he says it's a terrifying problem to have if it's dawn you're dead because the liquor stores don't open till nine o'clock and you can't last till nine o'clock or it could be sunday that's the worst Uh, The bartender then reminds Don about the two bottles that he had with him last night, and Don is overjoyed since he had forgotten that he had hid one in the ceiling. (laughs) Then uh, Gloria comes in and flirts with Don some more, and he tells her he'll meet her at eight that night to see Hamlet together. Gloria leaves, very excited, and the barman tells Don it's shitty of him to lead her on like that when they both know he isn't really going to take her out. And what he's doing to the other lady is rotten, too. How did a high-class girl like her ever get mixed up with a bum like him? That's actually what my novel is about, says Don. A horror story, confessions of a booze addict, the logbook of an alcoholic. It will be titled The Bottle, and the first chapter will go like this. Fade into the theater, where a large crowd runs through the lobby, handing off their coats and hats. And we see Don sitting in the audience, watching the opera. It's just this flood of people coming in and... It's not like a, a queue or anything. They're just, as they pass by the coat check, they're just handing them off. There's even people, like, going through the crowd just yeah. getting coats and hats from people. Oh,
1: before he sits down at the opera, he uh, puts a bottle of rye in his uh, in his coat that he's getting checked. Yeah,
0: puts the bottle in his coat and the coat gets taken. Yeah. So sitting in the audience watching the opera and he's starting to feel the need to drink. And as uh, drinks are poured for the actors on stage, he begins to sweat and squirm in his seat. It's just, yeah, all these people in uh, very fancy Victorian outfits like powdered wigs and the big ass like hoop dresses and all that. And and they're singing, but there's also uh, an actor who is playing the role of a servant who is just going around with a tray and just pouring everyone
1: they're having champagne. It yeah. looks like just
0: pouring everyone a glass, and uh, Don's eyes are just glued to the bottle as he goes around and pours everyone a drink, and he just starts to sweat.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: the urge intensifies, and as the actors all line up and raise their glasses, uh, they all transform into Don's hovering coat on the stage. Another next level of special effect. Yeah. We haven't seen a yeah a special effect like this before, mm-hmm. where it's. Uh, transposing some other object that's not there and duplicating it. It's just a line of coats yeah. just floating above the stage.
1: It felt very modern yeah. to me. It, it, I was definitely not expecting that from a, a 1945 movie. Yeah,
0: it was a surprise. They're trying new stuff. Uh, Don has remembered there's a bottle in his coat pocket. We even get like a the the pocket of one of the coats becomes transparent and you can see the bottle inside. So mm. effects on top of effects. Uh, He gets up and goes to the coat check, uh, but there's been a mix-up, and Don receives a leopard print coat. His own coat is too generic to be easily found, and he isn't allowed to go back and look for it himself, so his only option is to wait until the end of the show for the person who owns the leopard coat, uh, who will be given Don's coat, and so they can change. He has this protracted argument with the, the man at the counter, and he, Don's getting very agitated because he needs his booze and he needs it now, goddammit. So like, just, it's a coat, just go back and look for it. Well, there's so many coats here. Well, then let me go back there and look for it. That's against regulations, sure. We, we have to have regulations or else we're lawless. And, you know, Don's, like, almost jumping over the counter at this guy.
1: And the guy is, like, you know, like a, an annoying clerk with his little glasses and he wags his finger. And... Yep.
0: I need my coat and then the guy says well as far as i'm concerned sir this is your coat and he yeah. gives him the the leopard print one
1: Also this is a very flawed technique i think because he definitely Don got the the wrong number the wrong ticket for his coat but who's to say that other tickets didn't get mixed up and who knows who's going to uh, who knows who's got what ticket and if he's ever going to get his uh, his coat, that's it. Just didn't. It felt very flawed.
0: The the assumption that
1: uh, that whoever those went, are the exact tickets that got yeah, mixed up. Yeah,
0: it's a logical leap, but it works out. So Don sits and waits in the lobby until finally the crowd comes out, and after everyone else has their coat, all that remains is one woman holding a man's coat and derby hat. Don walks up to her and complains about how long he's been waiting, takes his coat, and snaps a terse goodbye. The woman calls him back because he forgot his hat, and then she calls him back a second time because he didn't give her her umbrella, which he chucks at her feet instead of walking back to her. Oh, my umbrella. And he just throws it at her, and she makes no move at all to catch it, so it just lands with a thud at her feet.
1: Asshole.
0: Yeah, he's being a real dick. Uh, She gives him a sarcastic thanks, and he sighs and walks over to pick it up and hand it to her. She tells him he's the rudest person she's ever met and asks what's wrong with him. Uh, That surprisingly leads to a friendly conversation about how long she's been in New York and what she does for work, which leads him to revealing that he's a writer and asking if she'd uh, like to go to the next show with him together. He skates by because uh, he's very handsome. A lot of the the female characters mention how good looking he is. So he can get away with this uh, brutish behavior to some extent. I was surprised that he was being a, a huge asshole.
1: Yes! I would have, if that were me, I would have picked up the the umbrella and chucked it uh, right back at him.
0: Yeah. He asks uh, to go to the show, and she agrees and goes one step further, inviting him to a party she's on her way to. Don declines, saying he has a friend to meet, which is in his pocket. Yeah. Uh, but then he goes to put his coat on, and the bottle falls out of his pocket and shatters on the sidewalk. Helen asks if he always carries booze on him, and he lies and says it was for his sick friend. And then she starts to walk away, and he stops her and says, uh, uh, "What kind of party is she going to again? A cocktail party," she says. Uh, "Invitations still stand, of course." And then uh, they walk off arm in arm. One of the most bizarre meet cutes I've seen.
1: Yeah, I I wouldn't call it a meet cute, honestly. It was the quite the opposite for me. But
0: a meat What's the opposite of a meat cute?
1: Uh, An awkward meat. A
0: meat ugly. (laughs) Transition back to the bar, where the barkeep guesses the next part of the story will be Don going to the party and getting drunk. But Don says no, he only drank tomato juice at the party, because by that time he was crazy about Helen. And that will be the most difficult part to write, because love is the hardest thing to write about. It's so simple you have to catch it through details like the early morning sunlight hitting the gray tin spout in front of her house another drink he says then he continues with the story the man and woman are deeply in love now and she's called her parents up to meet him
1: i did like the description that he gives of how hard it is to describe love yeah. and just to, to catch it in the in the details like i find that it's there's not always strong enough or accurate enough words to describe love. Like whenever I, I talk to you about my feelings for you, it, it takes me a couple of a couple of tries and uh, to get what I feel out in uh, into words. And even then, it doesn't feel to me like I'm actually doing a, a good job at describing it because it's yeah. It, it doesn't always, act, words to me don't always accurately describe the, like, how strong my feelings are.
0: It's hard to encapsulate both the, the simplicity and the depth yeah. at the same time. And yeah, he does a really good job of it. He has, he has the wit and he has the talent. Yeah. He, uh, he is a writer. He just needs to write. Then, uh, yep. Transition to the lobby of an upscale hotel where Don accidentally sits down on a seat right behind Helen's parents and, and overhears them talking shit about how Helen's boyfriend didn't graduate college and doesn't have a job. This makes Don so anxious that he steps into a phone booth and calls the hotel he's inside of, uh, leaving a message for Helen saying that he'll be late. He he calls the the front desk and has them page uh, Helen St. James and call her over to take the call, and you can see the front desk from the phone booth, booth he's in, so he watches Helen... Uh, receive the call he has and he pre- pretends that he's somewhere else and that yeah. he's gonna be late so yeah it makes it adds another layer of like sliminess and, and being despicable the fact that he's watching this happen yeah, he, he gets to be a voyeur for his the trouble he causes a lot, like with the, the scene in the stairs where he's hiding and watching right. Wiccan Helen come out, and now this where he's watching. So he gets a, a front row seat to, like, all the, the problems he causes.
1: Yeah, I hadn't thought about that.
0: Yeah. Fade to the apartment where Don is laying in the darkness with a glass on his chest. He's on his back on the couch and with just a, a glass of whiskey on his chest. Mm-hmm. Wick comes in and turns the lights on, and Don moans that it's too bright. Turn it off! Ah, oh, gee. Ugh. Wick asks why he isn't with Helen and her parents, and Don says it's because he couldn't face all their questions. He pleads for Wick to call Helen and make up an excuse, and Wick agrees. Yeah, Wick is also an enabler, as we see in the scene, because Don will start his muling and, oh, can't you do it for me? And then Wick will usually do it for him. Yeah. Uh, before he can make the call, though, there's a buzzing at the door. It's Helen, and Don jumps up to hide while Wick scrambles around to hide all the bottles. There's uh, a lot of thought given to the detail of actually having to cover for someone who's an alcoholic in the, this movie. Like, yeah, having to scramble. Oh, shit, someone's here unexpectedly. We have to hide all the evidence. Yeah. Uh, Wick then lets her in and makes up a story about Don going to a job interview, and that's why he didn't show up. Probably just missed a train or something, he says. Uh, Helen flops down on the couch while talking about how wonderful it would be if Don got a job, and one of the bottles that Wick hid rolls out from under the couch without Helen noticing. But Wick notices, and he tries to casually walk by and push it back under the couch with his foot. But at that point, Helen sees it, and uh, Wick throws himself under the bus, saying that it's his bottle because he has a drinking problem, and he has to hide it from Don. Helen apologizes to Wick, saying it's really none of her business, and that she'll go back to the hotel to wait for Don. But before she can leave, Don comes out of hiding, too ashamed to let his brother take the fall for him. So he at least has some sort of moral scruples.
1: Yeah. Some sort of decency.
0: He's not Yeah, he's not great at hiding it. Like he he wants people to obey be there with him and help him on his downward spiral mm-hmm. but he's never puts that much effort into the cover story
1: yeah
0: uh, he comes out and he's clearly intoxicated when he comes out for as much as he drinks this movie you don't see him like stumbling or slurring his words a lot in this movie
1: i mean at some point you build the tolerance if you drink that much every day all the all day every day your stomach builds a tolerance for it for it like you'll You'll still feel, like, dizzy and all that, but at some point, like, yeah, you build a a real high tolerance. Yeah,
0: so this is one of the few scenes where you see him visibly drunk. He's leaning against the doorframe as he comes out. He goes, no, don't go, Helen, this is not the truth. And Wick even uh, says something lines of, uh, we should do this later when you're yourself again. Uh, He reveals to Helen that he has a drinking problem, and she tells him that it isn't so bad He's not an embezzler or a murderer. He just drinks too much. It's interesting that they put embezzler on the same level as murder. Yeah. You didn't... Uh, c- well,
1: the you know, embezzler and uh, murderer are things that you go to jail for. Yeah. You, right?
0: you, you take a, a life or you take some money. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, there must be a reason, and the right doctor could find it, she says. I'm way ahead of the right doctor, says Don. The reason is me, what I am. Or rather what I'm not. What I wanted to become and didn't. A writer. Silly, isn't it? Uh, Then we get his backstory. In college he was considered a genius. You couldn't open the school paper without finding one of his stories. He was Hemingway, and who stays in college when they're Hemingway? He moved to New York to write, but his first story didn't sell, or his second, And by the time his third and fourth were rejected he noticed a thin clear voice over his shoulder and it whispered you're not good enough how about a couple of drinks to set it on its feet so he drank and when he did he could see the whole sweep of the great american novel perfectly proportioned but before he could get it down on paper it would disappear like a mirage so he'd drink more to find it again and then drink again to the disappointment of not finding it. Once he even got himself a gun, he was going to do it on his 30th birthday. Here are the bullets, he says, and he pulls the bullets out of a drawer and shows them to her. It's become a show and tell at this point. That was a a weird... (laughs) Like, I'm fine with this story, but the... Here's the bullets, want to hold them? (laughs) Don't, Don't need that much detail. But then he pawned the gun for more booze. At this point, Wick interjects and says if he can't be a writer, why doesn't he do something else? Because he doesn't have the guts. Most men lead lives of quiet desperation, and he couldn't do it. I've heard the the quiet desperation line before. I didn't know it was from this movie.
1: I didn't know either.
0: Yeah. He's 33 years old and living off the charity of his brother. He's never done anything and never will do anything. Zero, 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 he says. He tells Helen to turn around and run as far as she can from him. Uh, But she tells Wick to make some coffee instead. And she says she's not giving up because she has a rival for his affection. She's going to fight and fight and fight. Bend down, she says. And they kiss.
1: Yeah, she asks Wick to make three cups of strong coffee. Yeah,
0: you don't know me. I'm a fighter. So I'm going to fight. And this, this is another very authentic feeling. We feel yeah. like all these monologues out of Dong come straight from the, the author's experience. It's just him talking through the character. Yeah. And I'm assuming that this is why so many great writers get enthralled by alcohol because they feel it uh, helps their muse in some way, and so they just start chasing that dragon.
1: Well, it's kind of, it drops your inhibition, so... Yeah. The words you're... flow
0: more freely. It's yeah. lubrication.
1: You, You know, when you're not drunk, when you're just a little buzzed, you can feel a little bit more creative or a little bit more what's the word fluid fluid
0: inspired
1: yeah i guess inspired is the, the word I'm, I'm looking for you you dare to do more things that you wouldn't do otherwise yeah. when you're sober and
0: then it gets to the point where it's a a crutch yeah and you you have to have it or you can't yeah and and then you build up the tolerance so you need more and more
1: Yeah, Yeah. that's the thing. Like, when he says, you know, he keeps drinking more and more. It's like, if he had stayed at that stage where he gets a little buzzed and then he gets inspired, then he could have probably written that novel years earlier, but he just kept drinking and drinking and drinking and making it to the drunk and blackouts and all that stuff. So that's, that's just not the way to do it.
0: Yep, he drank to find it, and then when he couldn't find it, he drank to handle the disappointment, and then drank again to handle the disappointment from the disappointment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the vicious circle he was talking about. Exactly. But Helen's not giving up that easy. She had her chance to walk away. She didn't take it.
1: Which, I understand that's also a very, it also feels like a very authentic uh, reaction from a loved one who wants to help. I'm not sure that it's always... It has good intentions behind it. I'm not sure that it's always...
0: The best response. The best
1: response, yeah, because... Like we you said, well, no, we see that she's very much enabling him sometimes, too.
0: Yeah, it becomes a, a challenge at that point yeah. for the person who has the addiction. Like, oh, you're not going to leave me? I'll, I'll, I'll show you that you are going to leave me by, yeah. you know... Uh, Hitting rock bottom and uh, being as awful as I can. Yeah. Challenge accepted. Is what. And
1: it can also make the the person who's who has the addiction or the disease feel like they're not being considered as a person, but as something or somebody just to to treat.
0: Yeah. Challenge to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. All kinds of weird interactions. When dealing with an addiction
1: yeah there's just somebody that uh, it can make them feel like they're just uh, seen as somebody that needs taken care of a,
0: a minefield of, of toxic habits and power dynamics and yeah you know, can get very complicated and ugly very fast back in the bar Don tells the bartender that that was three years ago which is a long time to keep fighting. Barkeep uh, asks how the story ends, and Don says he doesn't know. "'Want me to tell you?' says the barkeep. "'One day that guy will get wise to himself and try to get the gun back, but he'll only have a dollar, so he'll go to the top of the Empire State Building or for five cents throw himself under the subway.' "'But what if this guy sits down and puts out something good and it snaps him out of it?' Don asks desperately. "'This guy?' says the bartender. "'Not from where I sit.' Don jumps up out of his seat and says he'll show him. He's going to do it right now. It'll all be there. You heard it. I just have to sit down and do it. Fade to a close-up of a blank page in a typewriter, and the first words being typed. The Bottle, a novel by Don Burnham. To Helen, with all my love.
1: I, you know, I've I've been there though. You you'll see it. I'll just have to sit down and I'll write it. Like, yeah. That this brought me back to my dissertation days, or some days, you know, some days you strike with yeah, luck and you write like five to ten pages. And then the next day you sit down and it's like, well, I I wrote ten sentences uh-huh. or not even.
0: You'll see. You'll all see. Yeah. This it felt intentional on the the barkeep's. He's some reverse psychology. Oh, being, for sure! You're not gonna ever do that. I'll show you.
1: Yeah, h- him yeah. and the and the alcoholism ward nurse, they both have the same attitude. They're uh, giving him some tough love.
0: Yeah, Is it saying you uh, you don't believe in them, so they'll be contrary and actually put in the effort. Yeah, and so he said that that was three years ago. That, yes. that thing with her parents happened. So what was the thing that happened that's making them go on this farm trip? I don't think we ever find out. Cause I, I don't
1: think so either.
0: Because I w- thought it might be that, but then rewatching it, like, no, that was three years ago.
1: Yeah. And they
0: mentioned multiple times, it was something that happened like 10 days ago. And it was some big thing because they oh after what you've been through they say that multiple times like go to the farm after what you've been through it'll be a good way to clear your head and yeah and he says well I haven't touched the stuff for 10 days ever since it happened and,
1: there was one scene uh, where I thought that it was uh, that it was uh, the accident the incident uh, 10 days ago when he goes to the to the bar, uh, to a re- bar restaurant, and then steals money from a woman's purse. No, I thought that that was that for for a minute, but that it wasn't it. Hmm. I we don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't think we ever find out what the in- inciting incident is for this whole thing.
1: I wonder if it's well, it probably wasn't because at that point, Jackson hadn't tried to kill himself because the the novel was published in nineteen forty four, and he had the uh, he uh, attempted suicide in fifty two. So I don't know. I have no idea. Hmm. Yeah. That
0: may have been it, and they couldn't mention suicide because of the the Hays Code.
1: Probably, I
0: could believe that. So he writes the 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 title and to Helen with all my love, and that's as far as Don gets before he starts to sweat and squirm, squirm, getting up to pace around the room and finally uh, tearing the room apart, looking for some booze while perilous music plays. Like he doesn't even sit at the typewriter for like two minutes. Yeah. he just gets these two lines down and just immediately just starts to sweat and like wipe his brow and huff and puff and then he gets up and paces and then he just can't take it anymore after less than five minutes and just starts tearing the room apart (laughs) he finally collapses into a chair without finding any alcohol but notices a matchbook advertising harry and joe's where good liquor flows Mm -hmm. Uh, transition to harry and joe's where don sits alone In a a little, uh, in a booth, but it's a a booth, like, along a wall. Yeah. So it's one of those ones where, uh, there's multiple tables, but everyone is sitting on the same connected booth. Yeah. Just at, uh, separate tables. He asks for the check, uh, and doesn't have enough money to cover the check, so he slowly steals the purse of the woman sitting at the next table. He orders another drink first to make the, the waiter go away, and then... He like slowly slides his hand along the, the booth because it's connected and yeah. slowly brings the... It's like a little uh, hand purse yes. kind of thing. It slowly moves it underneath his the edge of his coat and then puts the coat over it and then moves it up into his coat pocket.
1: And see, I thought that this was a memory because what be, the transition to that is it kind of like shimmers yep. and it, uh, there's a little bit of like smoke or something so i thought that that was indicating that this was a, a memory
0: yeah but... it was just the same uh, like shimmer transition that they use going into the glass yeah it means he's drunk he goes to the bathroom and gets the money out of it uh, but when he returns to his table the woman and her date are gone and get uh, a little bit of racism Our old pal racism shows up in the bathroom because there's a bathroom attendant who's a black man who's just there to shine people's shoes and, like, brush them off uh, before they go back out. And offer them carnations, too. That, too. So the woman and her date are gone, and then you hear, That's him! That's the man! Says the woman's date, accompanied by some of the staff. And... There's a whole crowd gathered at this point. It immediately accuses him, and it, this was like a fancy upscale bar. The first bar he goes into is just like your common like neighborhood barfly hangout.
1: Yeah, it looks like an. This one looks like an old-fashioned speakeasy.
0: Yeah, this one is an upscale. There's a piano player who's playing music the whole time, and there's people in fancy clothing, and the waiters are dressed up in suits, and yep. they bring you your your drink on a tray, and yeah. So uh, after the accusation is made, all the music stops and there's a crowd gathered and uh, the man accuses Don of taking the purse and and Don hands it over without argument. Another, he never, he never, once the jig is up, Don never tries to, to keep it going. He just immediately gives in, which I appreciate. I don't like when people argue when they're obviously not telling the truth and it just goes on and on. He just immediately gives up like, yeah, I took it. Here it is. Uh, the man wants the police called, but the woman says to just let it go. He's just drunk, she says. Don is then presented with his check, and when he says he can't pay it, he's roughly hauled out of the uh, bar, while the piano player improvises a song about how he stole the purse. <laughs> this was wild. Cause he just... He's being dragged out, and the piano player just starts in with, and this guy stole a purse. Come on, everybody. And then the whole crowd... <laughs> Starts singing about how he stole a purse. It was nuts. Too much stinking thinking leads to lots of drinking. <laughs> this guy stole a purse. <laughs> what a fucking wild thing to do after witnessing a crime. To just yes. uh, break into a song about it. And if then... it
1: was just the piano player, that would have been one thing. But the fact that the whole crowd the joins The whole in.
0: fucking crowd sings this guy out of the bar. <laughs> and, and as he's being dragged out, he's screaming, I'm not a thief! i'm not a thief (laughs) yeah that that got a a good laugh for me when we saw it that was that was a wild scene a wild thing to happen uh don stumbles back to the apartment after that and collapses on the couch at which point he notices the shadow being cast on the ceiling by the bottle that he hid in the light fixture he's being saved uh, then a very close shot of his eye as he's awoken the next day by the phone ringing. This was the the shot that you liked. Just yeah. The It's a shot of his eye from the side, and it's just his eye taking up the entire screen.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, he walks over to the phone and says, Stop it, Helen. Stop it. I'm alright. I just can't talk. He doesn't pick up the phone. He just talks at the phone while it's ringing. He tries to get the last few drops out of the bottles he has, but it's not enough. He has no money, so he pulls the mostly blank page from the typewriter and packs up the typewriter to pawn, leaving the apartment and stepping over more milk bottles and newspapers on his stoop. I think there's two or three at this point. Yes. Just a, another signifier of how he can't handle anything in life, even just the, the act of bringing his milk bottles inside is too much for him at this point. He stumbles his way to the nearest pawn shop, but finds it closed, even though it isn't Sunday. Uh, then we get a montage of him miserably wandering the city going from pawn shop to pawn shop and finding them all closed
1: he's walking far like he's walking probably over 30 blocks because we get uh, reminders periodically of where he is like we see uh 75th street then we see 90th he's definitely walking like a lot of blocks to try and find something that's open
0: yeah these were the shots you mentioned in the fun facts about actually being on the streets of new york and walking around and the way this this montage was filmed it reminded me of scenes in movies where a character is lost in a desert yeah and they're stumbling through a desert because he's just he's shambling along he's disheveled he's miserable it's
1: he's Sweating because he's in withdrawal. Yeah, it's the
0: exact same kind of, oh, the sun is beating down on me and I'm I'm just lost and I can't... There's no other option for me to keep going because if I stop, I'll just lay down and die.
1: Yeah.
0: And yeah, he's clutching his typewriter the whole time because that's what he's going to pawn and he's just, yeah, it's just this miserable shuffle through the city for blocks and blocks.
1: Yeah.
0: And this is a point where we saw the three metal balls too. Yeah. There was a recurring visual of... It was on multiple signs and then it was on top of a clock it's just these three metal spheres which maybe it was just part of the architecture at the time
1: it must have been yeah you know. but it, it just felt it, it just felt like it, it had a, a purpose and it, it, it if it i don't know it just yeah,
0: they sh- they showed it and now they focused on it enough to like oh is this supposed to be a metaphor for something is there, or what what are they trying to tell us by yeah. showing this over and over but if it is a metaphor, it
1: was too random to be random.
0: Yeah, it went over our heads. That's where we see it. I mean, it was just a neat part of the architecture. Who knows? Uh, finally, someone outside of one of the closed shops asks him what's wrong with him, and Don tells him the shops are all. And he tells Don that the shops are all closed because it's Yom Kippur, although he pronounces it Yom Kipper. Yes, it's Yom Kipper today, and he's Jewish, and then. Don asked him about, well, what about the Irish-owned shops? And he's told that they have a deal. If the Irish shops close on Yom Kippur, then the Jewish shops will close for St. on Day. St. Patrick's Day. And Don says, oh, what a great joke. What a wonderful joke.
1: Mm.
0: And then he staggers away. And when he staggers away, he staggers towards a subway line. And you can even see the train coming. I thought yeah. for a second in the scene that he was going to jump in front of the train. But that doesn't happen. Uh, next we see him stumbling into his usual bar where he collapses onto the bar and begs the bartender for a drink. Just one. Please, I'm begging you. He like folds in half so he's laying on top of the bar, like on top of his typewriter and just starts to beg and whine and plead. Yeah. Uh, the bartender resists at first but eventually gives in to the pleading, commenting that one is too many and a hundred isn't enough as he pours the shot daunton tries to beg for a second shot but the barkeep shouts at him to get out of here go on get it's like he's shooting a dog get yeah go on i told you get out of here and then he stumbles away yeah he says like have some charity have a heart i'm begging you and then he gets he gets his one shot and it 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 feels like it doesn't change his situation at all it's just like
1: can i have another now
0: i need another Yeah.
1: I mean, Nat is right. One is too many and a hundred isn't enough.
0: Yeah, he's just a bottomless pit. Yeah. Uh, Don's next stop on his way to Rock Bottom is Gloria's apartment where he pretends to love her so she'll give him some money. She's angry at first because uh, he stood her up for that date, just like the barkeep said he was going to. And she says, like, uh, she bought a new dress and she got her hair done and she waited for him half the night and the other half she spent crying because she actually has genuine feelings for him.
1: Oh yeah, her crush. It's not. She, he's not a client. He's not somebody that she would know that she would take as a take on as a client. She definitely he uh, is attracted to him.
0: Yeah, and he's just screwing around and leading her on and being a dick. Yeah. But then he just grabs her and kisses her, which is it's the most transparent ploy. Like he has no actual feelings for her. He's no. just, he's just desperate and uh, she gives in after he kisses her and gives him uh, Mm ten dollars yeah he prostitutes himself to the prostitute a a reversal of uh, the situation she has to pay the client Uh, but on his way down the stairs from her apartment he trips and falls landing in a heap at the bottom and this is where we get uh, a very quick shot from his point of view, so the camera just like does a tumble as he goes down the the stairs, very reminiscent of Gone with the Wind. Because yeah. what causes it is there's a little girl coming up the steps, and he just has to scoot over slightly to give her room, and he's you know in such a bad way that that's enough for him to lose his balance and tumble down the stairs and collapse in a heap.
1: He's trying to grab on a, a light fixture that also has three balls on it.
0: Yeah, he grabs it and pulls it out of the yeah. wall. Maybe it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost.
1: I- I was going to say it's Sunday after all, but no, it's not Sunday.
0: Yeah, it's not Sunday yet. Why are all these pawn shops closed? <laughs> he wakes up in a hospital, one bed in a row of others. Yeah, It's like a, a barracks almost because it's just a, a long room with beds mm-hmm. just all along the walls. There's no partitions or anything between them. It's just yeah. beds, beds as far as the eye can see. Uh, Another patient in a robe stands near the foot of his bed, and Don asks the patient where he is, but the man doesn't respond. He doesn't tell what Tom's like, Hey, you! I'm talking to you! And the man just, like, looks at him and wanders away. A male nurse then comes in and informs Don he's in the alcoholic ward. Why? asks Don. (laughs) You kidding? says the nurse. We had a look at your blood. Straight Applejack, 96 proof. I believe my father used to make Applejack. Can, What's Applejack? I believe it's a. It's something you have. You either take cider or apple juice and you leave them out in the snow overnight, and that makes the alcohol get stronger, I believe. Huh. And if memory serves, it's illegal. So. <laughs> The nurse asks for an address to contact someone to pick him up because if they release the drunks alone, they usually head right to a bar and just end up right back in the ward. Mm. Uh, Don insists that he's fine and doesn't need any help. He asks where the exit is and wobbles his way towards it when the nurse points, only to be stopped by the police officer guarding the door who asks uh, if Don has his discharge papers. And, you know, you get more whining and pleading, I'm fine, I don't need him, just let me out. But then he gets pushed back. Uh, Don goes back to the nurse and asks if this is a jail, half hospital, half jail. Says the nurse. Don tries to bribe him not to contact anyone. He says, "I got five dollars in my pocket, and it's yours if you just don't send that letter." And the nurse replies that his family should be uh, u- uh, should get used to be, uh, getting those messages because Don will definitely be back. The nurse can uh, spot an alky with one eye open, and Don is definitely an alky.
1: I had never heard that term
0: before. Me neither. So- sounds like some uh, 1940s Dookie nonsense.
1: Yeah.
0: Alky. Uh, Most of the people there are repeat guests, the nurse goes on. Why, you should have seen the place in the Prohibition days. It was so packed it was standing room only. He says that's how a lot of people got their start, It was during Prohibition. Mm. You're just a freshman now. Wait until you're a sophomore. You know that stuff about pink elephants? It's bunk. What you really see is little animals. Uh, monkeys crawling through keyholes, he says. See that guy over there? With him, it's beetles. At night, he sees beetles crawling all over him. Only in the dark, though. Delirium is a disease of the night.
1: Good night. That was creepy. On a, That was Ye- creepy on, on a level that I, I did not expect. And also, it just... I don't know how to explain it, but it was a weird way to explain and talk about alcoholism, like the the things that you might see. The oh, it's the little animals, and for him it's beetles, and for you maybe something else. Or just, I don't know. It it made me uncomfortable on a level that I, I hadn't been uncomfortable uh, just talking about alcohol. Yeah, there's a
0: sinister edge to this nurse. You called it tough love multiple times, but it. Yeah. Didn't come off that way to me. It feels like he's enjoying himself by tormenting Don.
1: I can see that.
0: Because he he's taking some sort of sadistic pleasure in that. It really felt like that way to me where he's just been there way too long. Because he talks about being there in Prohibition days, So yeah. he's been there multiple decades at this point. And so any sort of sympathy or human feeling he had has just been ground away over the years. And at this point he's just... He's just in finding what enjoyment he can out of it i guess and the enjoyment he's getting is in tormenting the newcomers like oh just wait until yeah you start hallucinating and your mind starts to go and you'll be back he'll definitely be back he he feels like a an imp in like a one of the circles of hell and he's like (laughs) oh these are the torments you're going to experience and i'll get to watch kind of thing
1: yeah i could see that on the other hand i could also see that as a as just a as a really strong warning, like this is how it starts, and if you don't stop right now, you're just gonna keep coming back, and it's gonna get worse. You're gonna keep, uh, you're uh going to start hallucinating, and it's just going to go downhill from there. Yeah, and I can see both sides of it the the enjoyment, but also the the warning that he's trying to give Dawn.
0: Yeah, you have to you have to have a tough skin if you're gonna work in that sort of profession, or you'll it'll break you, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an insane asylum, right? He's just basically in an insane asylum at that point because you got there was a guy in the bed right next to him who's like mumbling and and twitching when he woke up and then there's the guy in the robe at the foot of his bed who won't even acknowledge or talk to him in any way. Like all the people in that ward are clearly have severe problems to the point where they can't function in yeah. normal society anymore.
1: I think that even to this day, Bellevue Hospital in New York it, it has a specialty for treating addiction.
0: They got the the drunk tank yeah. still there. Uh, that night, the promised beetle freakout occurs, and while the guards and nurse are distracted dealing with it, Dawn slips out of the ward to freedom. The... The guy... Who sees
1: the beetles. Yeah,
0: his bed is in the corner. Mm -hmm. So he, like, he pushes himself into the corner and then starts screaming at the top of his lungs. And then ultimately he's, like, the beetles are coming up over the bed. So he's pushing himself and, like, standing up against the wall to get away from them. The nurse comes in, the doctor comes in, and one of the doctors, or maybe the guard, leaves their uh, coat on, on one of the beds. Yes. And then Don takes the coat, because he's got the same robe everyone else is wearing, so he takes the guard's coat to cover up his hospital yep. uh, outfit, and then scrams while everyone is distracted by the freakout. Back at the apartment, the milkman uh, tiptoes by Helen, who's sleeping on the stairs outside of the apartment, to place a third milk bottle in front of Don's door. Uh, The middle-aged woman, one floor down from Don, comes out to greet the milkman, who points to Helen and, like, shushes her, like, somebody's sleeping, because she tries to talk to the milkman, and then the woman wakes up Helen to make sure that she's okay. Helen makes up a story about Don being sick and, like, visiting uh, with friends, maybe, or something, but the woman reveals that she's the landlady, and she knows all about what goes on in her apartments. She's seen him passed out drunk in the lobby enough times to have a uh, good reason to throw him out, but he's so good-looking and well-mannered, and his brother pays the rent. That's why she lets him stay. Mm-hmm. Helen tells her to stop talking about him like he's dead, and the landlady responds that it would probably be better for her if he was.
1: That was grim, too. Yep. Like that. It almost felt like wishing... That he would be, that he would be dead. That's just not something that, I don't know. It's just not something that you do. Just you don't wish death on anybody.
0: Yeah, I know. But also at the same time, I appreciate the fact that everyone in this movie is telling Helen to get the hell away from this guy. Because I could absolutely see it going the other way. Especially in this time period, You're like, oh no, it's the woman's job to heal the man. He's your, you love him. You have to stick with him. So I appreciate the fact, like, no, get the fuck away from this guy. He's an alcoholic. Yeah. Like, don't let him drag him down with you. Please <laughs> save yourself. Then we're back with Don as he enters a liquor store in his stolen coat and hospital robe.
1: And a few minutes before that, he's uh, across the street from the liquor store and it's Sunday now and people are going to church. I, my first reaction was I thought that he was going to go in the church and steal money.
0: Steal money or the uh, communion wine. Yeah. And just get yourself a little bump. <laughs> yeah. Please, you are not worshiping God the right way. Don't judge me, father. He who is without sin, cast the first stone. Yeah. Give me the fuck that's right. <laughs> So the store is just opening, and the shopkeeper asks if he can take off his coat first before he gets some the the, the quart of rye. No, says Don. I need that liquor, and I'm going to get it. You understand? I'm going to walk out of here with that quart of rye one way or another. Yeah, Don has... It's like, you know, when you have to go to the bathroom, and the closer you get to the toilet, the more you need to pee. (laughs)
1: great analogy it's
0: it, a thousand percent the way don is with alcohol like the closer he gets to getting it the more impatient he gets yeah, just like it's... now now give it now he has yeah he always starts yelling and berating people that they're taking too long to like hand him the bottle or whatever yeah. this guy can't even take off his coat and yeah you get this close-up of don while he's yeah, it feels like he's almost in a delirium, where he's just, like, muttering to himself, like, I'm gonna get it one way or the, no- uh, the other, you'll see, I'm I'm walking out of here without alcohol. Right. Like, he's making promises to himself, he's not talking to the other person. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, the shopkeeper's getting freaked out, but he does give him the booze. So he gets back to the apartment, which is still torn up from him looking for the booze, he did not clean up his freak out after his, uh, trying to, to write the, nope. the bottle... So it's all still torn up like the lamps are on their sides and there's cushions on the floor and all kinds of stuff like that.
1: I mean, it takes too much effort. You need to be sober to to clean the apartment.
0: Yeah. All he does is drink or pursue more alcohol. Like, that is literally the only activity he engages in.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and he immediately starts to drink his new bottle. Sometime later, the sun has set and Dawn awakens to the squeaking of a mouse, which is poking its head out of a crack in the wall. And of course he hasn't turned any of the lights on, so he's just sitting in darkness in his apartment. And yeah, you see a little little mouse poking its head out of the wall. It's not it's weird because usually mouse holes are at the foot of the wall, but this it's this just one is
1: in the middle. Yeah, it's
0: right in the middle of the wall. Like halfway up it. Yeah, it's just poking its little head out. Then a bat enters through the window, flies around the room, and ultimately lands on the crack in the wall where it begins to eat the mouse. And uh, Don begins to scream hysterically.
1: And for a second, it was so well done that for a second I was like, "Okay, is this him hallucinating, or is he actually seeing this? Like, is this actually happening?" Well,
0: it's a real mouse. The the bat is fake as fuck. Yes. The bat. I laughed got a, a good belly laugh on me because you can almost see the string and, like, the wings are just flat and very mechanically just flapping up and down. And this was, like, the level of special effect I was expecting when we watched Wings. <laughs> this kind of goofy, like, Halloween prop that someone with a string is just moving around in front of the camera. But, yeah, when it lands on the hole and starts to eat the mouse, it gets yeah creepy and uh surprisingly graphic because blood starts to flow out of the hole yeah. and oh, i forgot that. and yeah trickle down the the wall it's surprisingly gruesome that scene and then he also starts to scream in a really realistic way because he'll he'll let out a, a piercing scream and he'll stop and be almost okay for a few seconds yeah it's like it's it's compulsive like, he's not actually in control of it. It's it's coming out in the same way that you can't control a sneeze or when you vomit or something like that. He's just uh, having a mental breakdown, and then he'll pull himself back together, and then he'll fall apart again, in, all in the span of a few seconds. Yeah. Very, yeah, off-putting in, in, a, in a authentic way. A lot of freakouts in movies feel very uh, goofy because... You know, there's movie freakouts and there's real world freakouts and this feels much more like a, a real world mm-hmm. freakout. The kind of freakout you'd see in a, a, a mental institution
1: yeah.
0: where someone is, you know, it, it's painful. Like he, he is in pain when he's screaming just because of what's happening inside yeah. of his head. The landlady hears the commotion and uh, calls Helen on the phone. Helen arrives but Don won't answer the door so Helen has to get the janitor uh, who has the master key to unlock the door we have the scene of him they're like uh, fiddling with the lock and trying to open the door and he falls out of his chair and tries to drag himself on the floor over to the door so he can bolt and lock it and they can't get Mm -hmm. in but he doesn't do it in time and they manage to get in and he's like leaning up against the door. Helen enters and helps Don up off the floor and carries him to the bathroom, but he tries to pull away because the bathroom is close to the wall where he saw the mouse. Uh, After some prodding, Helen gets him to look at the wall, and he sees that it's blank, making him realize he was seeing small animals just like the nurse said he would.
1: Which I guess uh, was probably also part of the uh, of uh, the freak out is like he knows that that's exactly what the nurse said would happen, and then it actually happens.
0: Yep, the, sp- the spiral is commencing. Time passes and it's raining outside. As Don, freshly bathed, comes out of the bathroom while Helen sleeps on the couch. Like he, yeah, he has not bathed. I don't think he's even changed clothes no. this entire weekend so far. So he was getting increasingly—he had like five o'clock shadow. His hair was disheveled. His clothes were all rumpled. Yeah, he, he, sweating. Yeah, he looked gross until this point. You could tell that he, he's visibly falling apart at the seams. She wakes up in time to see Don picking up her leopard print coat and walking out of the door and hurries after him. She, like, calls down as uh, he walks down the flight of stairs. Don! Don! But he, he doesn't even look back or respond in any way. He just keeps going.
1: He's on a quest.
0: Yep. Yeah, laser focus. A, point A to point B. She catches up with him as he exits a pawn shop, and she asks for the pawn ticket. No scene, please, replies Don. You couldn't have taken my bracelet or my paycheck. It had to be that coat, she says. You mean the one that brought us together? Stop being sentimental, says Don. And neither one of them have an umbrella, so they're just standing in the rain having this conversation. Helen assures him that she has. It's over. It's dead. She just wants her coat back. She thought that there was a core under all his problems, and she sees now that that core is a sponge, and he'll do any ruthless, ugly thing to fill it. He can get as drunk as he wants for all she cares. This is, there's a lot of downer scenes in the movie, but yeah, the point where people give up on you is, yeah, bleak.
1: Well, especially his brother has already given up. He's left the. He's literally left the movie. Left the the apartment. He's been gone this entire time, and then the the last person who wanted to help him who was there for him uh, the entire uh, the entire time is yeah she's done she's she's had enough
0: yeah it's the and it's the, the thing that he claimed he wanted for her right in the beginning because he was telling her to leave but yeah you know that that's not actually what he wants and when people say that they're actually desperately asking people to stay with them no matter what and she's finally reached her breaking point here he's finally pushed the last person away it's a, a bummer of a scene don thanks her after she says he can get drunk for all she cares no, don thanks her and he walks away helen then enters the pawn shop and asks the man at the counter how much don got for her coat and is told that don didn't pun it for mon- uh, pawn it for money he traded it for a gun
1: So the gun that he pawned,
0: he said that he pawned earlier in the movie. Yeah, the barkeep's prophecy is coming true. One day the guy goes to get a gun. Uh, Helen hurries out of the shop and we fade to a shot of Don writing his suicide note with the gun lying on the table next to the paper. You can see his hand writing the paper and just the gun lying there in the corner. He finishes the note and walks to the bathroom it's a it's like instructions for his funeral. He says like no flowers, please and I recommend a few good jokes yes. it's like instructions for his brother
1: yeah
0: so he finishes the note and walks to the bathroom, looking at himself in the mirror and adjusting his tie like he wants to look presentable for when he does it. It's really yep. grim
1: it's grim and at at the same time it, it i don't know i've I don't think I've ever understood that because you're if you're planning on killing yourself, you know it's going to be a mess. Like what doesn't matter? Especially if you're, if you're doing it with a gun. If you're doing it with a gun, if you're going to uh, pull the gun in your head on your throat, your head is going to be gone. Your brain is going to be scattered all around the floor. What doesn't matter if you're well dressed?
0: Well, he's got a a revolver, and something of that caliber wouldn't blow a whole head off. Like it's going to make a mess. There's going to be blood on the wall, but. I think his head would still mostly be intact. There'd be a hole in it, but
1: yeah, but well, he'll be—he wouldn't have been uh, laying down in a pool of blood. Yeah,
0: it's—it's it's silly, but yeah. the whole act is silly. So, yeah. and he's probably just stalling because, at his core, he doesn't actually want to do it. So, before he can go through with it, though, Helen comes in claiming she's there to get a raincoat. Uh, Don gives her the coat and says goodbye, but Helen stalls some more, saying that she needs a hat too. While Dawn goes to look for one, uh, she sees the gun reflected in the bathroom mirror, and when he comes back she tells him there's still some whiskey in one of the bottles that she threw out. Would he like to know where it is? Dawn says he isn't interested. Helen grabs the bottle out of the trash anyway and pours a glass, pushing Don to drink it, saying she'll even drink with him. She like, is trying to push it into his chest to get him to take it. Yeah. Like, come on, don't you want to do it? I'll get drunk with you. I was, I was being such a, a silly small-town teetotaler before, she says. I, I feel embarrassed. Let's have a party together. Mm. Don is unmoved and tells Helen it's time for her to go. Why is she trying to make him drink anyway? Because, says Helen, I'd rather see you drunk than dead. Don pretends he doesn't know what she's talking about and Helen runs into the bathroom and grabs the gun as proof, which Don then wrestles away from her. One of the very rare uh, scenes in a movie where two people wrestle over a gun and it doesn't go off. Yeah. Every time uh, there's a struggle over a gun, I'm like, oh, one of these people's getting shot.
1: I, I expected that it was going to go off and that she would have been shot.
0: Yeah, you know, but it doesn't. One of the rare cases, he just gets away from her, nothing happens. It doesn't go off. He tells her she can't stop him, and she asks why he wants to do this. He tells her that it's just a formality, that Don Burnham died over the weekend. He died of alcohol, moral anemia, fear, shame, and DTs. I don't know what DTs are. Do you? He says DTs.
1: I have no idea. I have
0: no idea. Audience, help us out. What are DTs? In 1940s parlance, what are DTs? It's one of the things he died of, so it's bad. We know that. Just let me get it over with, he says, or do you want another one of of my promises I won't keep? It's too late for me. I wouldn't even know how to start. The only way to start is to stop, says Helen. Quit trying to stall me. What do you expect? A miracle? says Don. Yes, yes, yes. If I could just... begins Helen. But the door buzzer interrupts her. It's the bartender who's come to return Don's typewriter, which he found floating in the Nile after Don's accident. Helen thanks him and takes it. and Then her and Don sit in the main room and argue some more about Don getting back to writing, which ends with her uh, fishing the mostly blank page Don started to write the day before out of the trash and telling him to get everything he's feeling out on paper. To whom it may concern, because it concerns so many people, and she goes to make breakfast. He talks, he's still trying to to push against, oh, what am I going to write about? And his usual mewling and whining, I can't do it, it's too late, what am I even going, I don't know.
1: So I was just looking it up, and DT in medical talk could be delirium tremens.
0: Delirium tremens, oh, he's talking about hallucinations, that makes sense.
1: Hallucinations.
0: DTs, outdated term for hallucinations.
1: Yeah.
0: I learned something today it feels terrible (laughs) and she goes to make breakfast uh we and don says we have quite the supply of milk (laughs) so he's at least self-aware
1: yes he's got a a little bit of humor
0: that was one of my favorite touches too how the milk in the newspapers just piled up over the weekend it was a really good visual indication of time passing and the situation getting worse and worse as she pre- prepares uh, breakfast in the kitchen, Don walks over to the glass of whiskey from the trash bottle, picks it up as the suspenseful music rises. He's holding the glass. He's looking at it. The usual UFO. Woo! Something supernatural is happening. And then he drops his cigarette in it. It's the first drink in the whole movie he refuses.
1: Yep. Giving up both vices, smoking and drinking. Well,
0: he gets another cigarette. <laughs> Plenty more where that came from. That's, that's healthy. <laughs> It's, drinking is the problem he sits down on the couch and says he's going to put this whole weekend down minute by minute starting with when he was packing his, his suitcase but his mind wasn't on his suitcase his mind was hanging outside the window suspended just 18 inches below out there in that great big concrete jungle he says as the camera moves back out the window in a mm-hmm. reverse of the opening shot and pans back over to that model of the city yeah and he says i wonder how many others there are like me the end i appreciate how we moved in a reverse of the opening shot for the yeah. end we start on the city move over to the window and go in and then for the ending we move out of the window and pan back over to the city
1: it's a- thoughtful. It felt like a a really orchestrated and thoughtful. Yeah
0: a lot of this um, stuff in this movie felt very thoughtful and intentional and a lot of attention to detail and experimentation. I really like this movie.
1: I had some mixed feelings about it honestly. I didn't appreciate it at first when we were watching it. There's I
0: I believe you said, and I quote, it's dog shit. (laughs) As you got up from the couch.
1: As I got up from the couch, it's dog shit. Fuck this movie. When they were struggling over the the gun and he was explaining, you know, oh, I've died this weekend. I'm like, well, just fucking kill yourself already. I I was ready for (laughs) this. I was... Ready for this movie to be over. Because... You're one of those
0: people that stands at the bottom of the building while someone's standing on top on the edge and be like, do
1: it! No! <laughs> just because it's a movie. And... Don't
0: promise me a show and then disappoint! Good
1: lord. <laughs> Fucking No, I would never come to me for to say that to an actual person I in know. front of me. But in but entertainment. In, in an entertainment setting where it just. I felt like this. The movie was just, like, dragging for so long to You
0: do get to that shit-or-get-off-the-pot point.
1: Yeah, I was getting very repetitive, and and that's one thing that I I don't appreciate in movies or in entertainment of any kind. It's just, at some point, it's just played out.
0: I 100% agree with you. That's one of the most common complaints I have on this podcast, is that when movies are too repetitive and the same shit keeps happening over and over, but for some reason, that... This one didn't get repetitive for me. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, watching through it a second time, you're right. Like, a lot of the same stuff happens over and over. But just the entertainment for me of just the purity of his quest. Like, how driven and how just... It is all he wants in the world and the lengths he will go to to get alcohol and the begging and the whining and the pleading and the stealing. He will do anything anything it's just it's like he's in the grip of something it's like he's possessed the whole time and it was just it it was enough for me to just to watch him on this laser guided like mission from god like i am going to get alcohol come hell or high water no matter who or what gets in my way like we'll go to any lengths like that that kept me entertained and the experimental stuff with the camera. There's a lot of really good shots in this movie.
1: There are a lot of amazing shots. Like that, I know it, it's not necessarily experimental or very technical, but my favorite shot was the close-up of his eye. There's a, um, a movie called uh, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. That's more modern. And there we get the same close-up shot as um on uh, the protagonist's eyes when he wakes up in the hospital and it just it's so beautiful there's something just beautiful about looking at somebody's eyes so close and just being directed by their eye movement there you see kind of the his eye is moving fast and you kind of see the like the, the panic that he's in when he wakes yeah, up. Yeah, where am I? What's going yeah. on? It, I don't know how, how else to explain it. There's just mm-hmm. something beautiful and poetic about just being guided by that close-up of, of his eye. The
0: eyes are the, the window to the soul. It's the thing that the, the consciousness is looking out of. So yeah. when you're looking at someone's eye, you're seeing their consciousness yeah. being directed. Like yeah. That is them. They are behind that thing. They are yeah. moving it.
1: So. I also loved the a couple shots when he was in the Bellevue Hospital in the alcoholism ward. There, when he wakes up at night and the guy who sees the beetle is starting to have his hallucinations, uh, you see Don laying down on his bed and there for a couple seconds, he gets this look of, I believe it's uh, Jack Nicholson in Science of the Lamb but also in uh, what... silence of the lamb you
0: mean the shining i don't think jack... no is jack nicholson in this sh-
1: that's why i don't remember if it's jack nicholson or not hold on because uh, but it reminded and reminded me of some of the like crazy shots he, from... yeah because
0: his most iconic crazy face is from the shining when he bust through the door here's johnny
1: Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Yeah. That reminded me uh, of some of the, some of those shots. Yeah. yeah. And there's
0: one when he escapes too, and he's walking up a, a staircase and the camera is set looking at the, the staircase in profile. So you just get this little view of the city through this like hole in the stairs. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. They did a lot of good yeah, you know, cinematography, a lot of neat tricks, like the shot of the city and then zooming over to the building with the, the bottle just hanging out of the building so that the first thing you see in the movie is the, a bottle of alcohol being hidden, Yeah, you know?
1: I also the transitions also, like the, when you go into the glass, when there's smoke. And, and there were some really neat transitions.
0: Yeah, they, were, they put a lot of effort in. They're, they're trying new things. They're uh, pushing the boundaries of what's possible. Yeah. I really appreciate. It. Yeah, the floating coats and all that stuff. This whole thing, despite the really grim subject matter, it was really a breath of fresh air because this is not a subject we've ever dealt with before. This is not the usual. We didn't have a fucking uh school marm character. <laughs> we yeah. didn't have the busybody finally. This really felt like it broke away from the, the patterns we've been yeah. trapped in for a long time. So it was really... Something fresh and unique and experimental and yeah, I I really liked it.
1: I appreciate it also how authentic the conversations. Yeah, really, felt.
0: really good authentic writing. Yeah, felt really it it treated the subject matter with enough uh, dignity and respect and gravitas without getting too ham fisted or preachy. Yes. Yeah, a really hard line to walk, and they I think they walked it really well.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed all the, I enjoyed all the characters who, to me, were giving Don some tough love because, it's, you can see the frustration of the that those people uh, must feel, but also it's, I that it, it can be hard sometimes. Like uh, even if you're frustrated uh, with the situation, it can be hard to tell the truth about somebody's action, to tell the truth to somebody's face about, the, about about their action and to try and wake them up from what they're doing and how they're destroying themselves. Yeah,
0: you see the, the ripple effects it has, not only in his life, but how it's affecting everyone around him. Yeah. And yeah, you never see his brother again after he leaves. Like he doesn't come back in the end. He just, he just leaves. He's, you know, he says, gone. Yeah, he yeah. says, I'm done with this and he just leaves, Yeah, which I really appreciate because, you know, the cliche thing would be like, oh, you know, I'm back and I forgive you for everything. But we don't know that that happens.
1: Yeah, because like when he talks about how he met Helen, he says, oh, that was three years ago. But his brother before that says, oh, we've met, we've been dealing with that for six years. He's been dealing with it He's for six. He's de- been dealing yeah. with it for six years. So, yeah, there was a whole three years of that when it was just him trying to helped Don and that didn't work yeah
0: he's been dealing with it for longer and they've they've done every they've tried everything and nothing's worked. and they're just at the point where they're at the end of their rope and they don't know what to do and yeah it's all it all feels real
1: I also enjoyed the fact that there were like you said in the in the synopsis there are things that the bartender tells dawn you know what's gonna happen to him and you know at some someday that the man wakes up and he only has a dollar and he's gonna go and get a gun and all that i appreciate the little things that are sprinkled here and there in the movie about how his the direction that his life is going to take and then it actually does and but by the time it does you've kind of forgotten that other people have predicted it yeah and it was
0: yeah, there's no one singular, like, big intervention. Yeah. It's all just these little, you know, little instances of people being like, you should probably stop, and yeah. this isn't going to end well. Yeah. Which he completely ignores until, you know, he hits rock bottom.
1: Yeah, like I said, it felt very thoughtful and very like, well-crafted in the writing and in, uh, in uh, the shots. I didn't appreciate all the repetition but there is different there's definitely a lot to appreciate about this movie
0: yeah you can tell the difference between when movies like this are written by people who've never had an addiction and by people who are you just you it lacks a level of authenticity when it's people just talking about addiction who's never experienced it you can definitely tell this is written by a person who has personal long deep personal experience with addiction yeah and all the the trials and tribulations and ways it destroys your life and excuses you make and the depths you sink to and yeah Don is a very sometimes pathetic sometimes aggressive a mess a mess of a human being like and there's there's charm that that pokes through sometimes like you can see why people don't want to give up on him because he does have talent and, and charm and uh, he's a wordsmith but also he's just this pathetic drunk who steals and lies and cheats to to get you know the alcohol that he thinks he needs and
1: yeah i wouldn't there were some alternative alternative uh, alternate endings that I thought about that could have been a little better for this movie. I like, was
0: not expecting it to end as well as it did. I yeah. I was for sure certain that we were uh, going to see him die at the end.
1: Yeah, that that's one of the possibilities that I thought about because I, I thought it would have definitely hammered the nail in with the message of this movie, you know, with trying to Warn people about the dangers of alcoholism, but I guess that's too grim, maybe.
0: Yeah, that's the only point where it feels like it loses its authenticity a little bit. Is the the miracle at the end that yeah. causes him to have an immediately immediately reverse and just quit cold turkey? Yeah, we're assuming. But he's even said at other points in the movie that he's quit for small stretches of time. So this could just be that. We don't really have any evidence that this is a full breakaway. It's yeah. just it ends on a positive note.
1: And it also doesn't feel very true to the movie itself because he only seems at that point, he only seems to have some uh, stroke of genius and some inspiration when he's drunk. Yeah. So how the heck is he going to write the book now that he's sober yeah it it didn't feel it didn't feel right it, feel, it felt like a very awkward ending or if you're going to give us this ending where he's going to write the book at least have the decency to have a, a flash forward when the book has been written it's been published it's a huge success we get to rejoice with him
0: yeah without the yeah the confirmation of it succeeding we're just left on a I mean, he says himself, do you want another one of my empty promises? Like, So yeah. all we're left with in the end is an, an, an a, a promise that we don't know if it's fulfilled or not. Yeah. And then wondering how many other drunks there are out in the big uh, concrete jungle.
1: Probably
0: a Which, that that felt like like the most ham-fisted like finger wagging and and you're there's a bunch of other drunks too and you should stop.
1: Yeah, like you're yeah you should stop. But also don't think I'm the only one. Yeah. Like don't don't blame it on me. Don't uh, don't judge me too hard. There's plenty of other people. Like one
0: me. one of the biggest problems in America. Almost felt like like statistics should start scrolling by after he says that. <laughs> if so, yeah. if you or someone you know call this number.
1: Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, I had I had a hard time putting it on the on my list because, like I said, there I didn't like it the first time. Like right when we finished watching it, I was like, "Well, oh, glad I don't have to watch that again." But then the more I thought about it. Like you said, there's lots, there's so much technical redeeming qualities to this movie. At first, I had put it, I had put it between Grand Hotel and Going My Way. So it would have gone to number 16. That's where I had put it originally. 16
0: out of 18.
1: 16 out of 18. So pretty low. Yes. I ended up putting it under you can't take it with you so right now it's sitting at uh, number 11 between for me between you can't take it with you and mrs miniver got
0: bumped up five five whole spaces yeah
1: like it's it's really as much as i disliked all the repetition there's definitely a lot of technical achievement uh for me in the movie and a lot of like really really great writing so i can't I can't discard that.
0: Yeah, great writing and the novelty of it really helped for me. Like we, we've been seeing a lot of repetition just in the types of movies watching. Yeah. So just to have something new and different was a, a real boon for this for me.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, let's see my list. I haven't decided where it goes yet. Live on air. All right. It's not better than Casablanca.
1: And <laughs> for no, for sure.
0: I don't think it matches Grand Hotel or Rebecca either. Is it? Be- it's definitely better than Cavalcade for me, and Cavalcade is my number five. So, is it
1: better than How Green Was My Valley? Is it
0: better than How Green Was My Valley? That is the question we're facing. Man, what a, a comparison of apples and oranges. What what incredibly different movies. Ah. Uh, How Green Was My My Valley was just a movie about being in a time and a place. It didn't really have a plot, and there wasn't really that much cinematography in it. It was just entirely on the strength of the characters and their interactions in that movie. Yeah, I think Lost Weekend is better than How Green Was My Valley. All right. On the strength of the writing and, and having an actual narrative... To follow and all the experimental stuff that they did with the camera all the stuff they tried. Yeah
1: So it's your new number four new
0: number four Yeah above uh, how green was my valley and right below Rebecca. So yeah number four for me Top five from your Casablanca number one number two Grand Hotel number three Rebecca Number four the lost weekend and number five how green was my valley. I really like this movie. 40s have been very hit and miss so far
1: yeah the first what the first what three movies first two. First
0: first two it was yeah mrs miniver yeah. was the third that's where we our, mm-hmm. hit our first road bump then we got casablanca yeah. shooting right up to the top and then we got going my way straight back down to the bottom yeah and now here we are near the top again for me at least number 11 for you number four for me good stuff stuff yeah pleasantly surprised and also the closest i've ever been to being correct about our guesses for what the next movie is going to be because i said it was going to be a drug fueled <laughs> yeah. uh, rampage yes i was kind of right
1: <laughs> i talked about alcohol i thought i thought that was, i said that it wouldn't be drugs but uh, that probably was going to be alcohol i thought i was going to deal with some gambling though all right you get
0: half a point i, go, I get half i get full point <gasps> i'm in bleed. lead yes what's our next one
1: The next one is called The Best Years of Our Lives. That sounds
0: like a soap opera. We might be headed back towards the bottom. Yes. Oh, boy.
1: I feel feel so. I feel like it's going to be one of those idealistic feel-good movie about probably like a, a group of friends just living their lives as like Single people and just going on adventures. I think it's going to be one of those movies. They
0: all meet when they're young, and then it follows them through the lives as they drift yeah. apart and then come back together. And some people get married, and some people get sick, and yeah.
1: I feel like it's got uh, that potential.
0: Yeah, sounds disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how right you are next time. Yeah. Anything else?
1: Um, happy New Year, people! Because this is going to come out in the in the New Year. Yep.
0: Yeah. New year, new podcast.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Happy New Year to everyone.
1: See you next time.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: Bye. Bye. Okay, that's it. That's it. That's it.